Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Zion. Some of you, this will be your first trip here, and uh, it is a very inspiring setting uh, for God's feast. We've Some of us really enjoyed it for the past, I guess this is the sixth feast we've had here. And uh, I'm excited to be here. There are a few faces I see already that I have not even met as yet, and uh, I look forward to that. <clears throat> I know there were a few who did not make it tonight, came in later, and um, just simply were not able to logistically and bodily make it here, who <laughs> will be in tomorrow. That uh, seems to be the case every year, and something that's hard to get away from. I will keep this short tonight as an introductory thing because I know a lot of you <clears throat> were anticipating and weren't able to sleep much last night, or if you did go to bed, couldn't go to sleep. I know how it is sometimes when I travel, I lay down and think, well, I'll go to sleep now, and I'll, oh, I need to do this. Oh, you got to put something else in the suitcase or check something on the computer or something. Uh, and uh, so you don't get much sleep the night before, and then you get up 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning to try to make a flight or catch a flight, and uh, it gets to be a long day. So I understand that, and we'll keep it short. <clears throat> Services are in the morning at 10.30, and uh, again in the afternoon at 2.30, 10.30 and 2.30 tomorrow. Uh, let me give you my cell phone. I'm staying in the campground just at the foot of the hill here. You know, as you go out to the main highway, just go straight across and I'm an H1, H1, as in Harry. That's down at the bottom to the right. If you keep bearing to the right downhill, uh, down that way. But the cell phone number is 435-63, how did I write that down? 435-691-3773, Nelson, uh, Nichols is an elder. He's staying in uh, Brook Ter Terrace Brook. They had a, la a ladies' dorm named Brook Terrace in Pasadena, and I went there often. And <laughs> and it's difficult now to say it just the opposite. It, it sometimes, 40 years later, I still think of it backward. And Gordon Guller also is here. Uh, most of you know Gordon by now from Passover. He's right back here, the guilty, guilty party right there. <laughs> He's staying in a private home, I believe. Uh, do you have a phone number there? We could announce it in the morning. It will be quick enough. If, if anyone needs me tonight for anointing or something, they can call the cell number. Maybe I should go over, well, no, I'll do it tomorrow. It'll be fine tomorrow. The schedule of events and services, you'll be fresher then. We can write them all down. As long as you've got 10.30 in the morning, then you'll get the rest tomorrow. Well, I don't think it's any mystery that trouble is escalating around the world. We have been waiting many, many years. I remember as a child, seven, eight years ago, seven, eight, when I was at seven or eight years of age, 
<coughs> Do I remember or don't I? I never thought that I would ever be married or have a family or Alzheimer's or anything. And here we are. This is my 53rd feast, I believe, and still waiting. But we read about all those prophetic things back when we expected them to start happening soon in the 50s. And we waited, and we waited, and we came up with different dates that we thought could be, and it never happened. <clears throat> and you get tired of gun laps after a while. And yet, it seems now that things are escalating finally in a way that could be leading up to the culmination of this world's societies and Satan's reign as prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this present evil world. In some respects, it's a scary time. I believe that God has had his hand of protection upon Israel for the most part uh, because of promises to Abraham, not because of our righteousness as a nation, even though we call ourselves a Christian nation. <coughs> but it seems that as trouble escalates in other parts of the world, now it's beginning to happen here as well. One or two or three or four natural events don't necessarily mean that that is occurring. I think it's something we need to be watching very carefully. I mean, Galveston had thousands of people die back in, when, 1917 or whenever it was. Of course, they didn't have any warnings then. They didn't have uh, the Weather mm -hmm. Channel or anything. It just came in and got them. Now we can get out of the way if other people will get out of the way as we evacuate. But when some of the earthquakes and various things happen in the future, New York is covered with fault lines. California is. Anywhere there are mountains, there are fault lines. Uh, how do you get away from earthquakes? And I think the experience with Houston uh, says a lot. <clears throat> I remember seeing, oh, 30, 40 years ago, emergency evacuation route. And back in the 50s, you know, when we were living under the fear of the bomb all the time, and now that it's closer, we don't live under that fear. But they had emergency ways to evacuate our cities, and they expected New York and Los Angeles to be empty in 20 minutes. You know, you, they figured we had a 20-minute warning if there was incoming. How far did they get coming out of Houston in 20 minutes? The, the highway system, our whole transportation system, simply cannot handle a mass evacuation in the time that it would be required to save that many lives from something that came suddenly. It just There is just simply no way. And now we are talking of invading Syria and Iran, and it makes me wonder what kind of terrorist attack may be planned in order to get the American public to say once again, oh yeah, we should do that. Who knows? But we're getting into grimmer times, and it's worrisome. Let's look at Matthew 24 briefly. <clears throat> Verse 5 is where I want to start. This is about the end of the world. It's what the disciples were asking about. First of all, it was about the temple and how it would be torn down and not one stone left upon another. 
And the temple of God, as we knew it in worldwide, is almost broken down to where there's not one stone upon another. And we here certainly expect that organizations will continue to come apart, continue to have problems, and continue to have the government's broken down until there's not one stone left upon another. It's a sad state of affairs in the church today, and I think most in the church would have no trouble seeing that and certainly see that, but they don't know, 90-some-odd percent of them, why it happened, nor do they have any idea how far it will go, nor do they have any idea of what God's solution to the problem truly is. We have been blessed with that knowledge from the Scriptures. But we also can read what everyone else can read, and that is that there will be wars and rumors of wars, and that we are not to be troubled, that these things will come to pass, but the end is not yet, and then other things will begin to happen. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, headed toward a world war. There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. We've seen an increase in horrible earthquakes. The tsunami killed hundreds of thousands. The earthquake in Pakistan, they're saying now the death toll will be at least 54,000. first report I heard coming in said they may have killed 500 people. Now it's up to 54,000, and probably they will never know, just like in the tsunami. They'll never know how many people actually died. Now we're having floods on the East Coast that's killed, have killed some, and it's causing millions and millions of dollars on top of the billions from Katrina and Rita. Our monthly outgo <coughs> was $59 billion more this month than last month, and last month it was $58 billion more than what we took in. How long will your budget last? if you spend that much more every month than you take in. Things are getting grim. <clears throat> I don't think I need to go on and on about that. We are now looking at possible bird flu killing millions and millions of people. It's spreading. They, don't, they keep warning us now. So who knows? Maybe it will be unleashed or maybe they will unleash it or whatever. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes for sure. But I want to skip <coughs> past that with just that much said. We're in a very insecure world. But what about the church? Those things are the beginning of sorrows. The real sorrow comes next, and sometimes we don't notice this or dwell upon it as much. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. He's talking to his own disciples, and we are his disciples. They'll deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Any who are true Christians, any of God's people, are going to be known at some point quite well. Everyone, it seems, in the American society wants their 15 minutes of fame. We will get ours. It'll be a little more than 15 minutes, but we'll have our fame. If that's what you're after, it's coming. 
<clears throat> and the bad part is that many will be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. This is church members whose love waxes cold who will betray one another to the death and hate one another. Now we talk about a lot about love, don't we? We talk about how we should be close and how we should be family. You know, internal problems do what? They drive you apart. Troubles that come from the outside drive you together, normally speaking. That's just the way it works. But so many in God's church will have allowed themselves to drift so far that God himself tells us will betray and hate one another and many will be offended. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many <clears throat> and because iniquity shall abound. That is within the church. That's not in society. We know that in society iniquity is abounding. But he's talking to the disciples here about what will happen to them. The love of God's people will wax cold. Obviously, that would have to include love toward God and love toward those whom God has called out. This is not a pretty picture, but it's one that's coming. It could affect anyone or every one of us, couldn't it? What makes us think? Spiritual pride, intellectual vanity, ego. What makes us think that we as individuals are so special it could not happen to me? Because I'll guarantee you that this will happen to a lot of people who didn't think it could happen to them. Isn't that always the way it is? When people have horrendous troubles or accidents, sicknesses, cancers, whatever they might be, don't you so often hear them in an interview or if you talk to them personal say, I never thought it could happen to me. That is a common saying. I always thought it would happen to someone else. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. That means that that's a warning and that it will not be easy to endure to the end. And each and every one of us here tonight know friends, relatives, loved ones who already have shown that they were unable to endure to the end. Maybe they'll repent, we hope, if there was conversion there whatsoever so that they'll be saved before this is over. But we all know individuals whom we thought would never fall away. I know evangelists, pastors, elders, deacons that seem like the Rock of Gibraltar. <clears throat> Well, if you've seen the Rock of Gibraltar, it's full of holes, so they weren't as strong as they thought. Now, 
Why are we here? And why do I say these things? And why are they important tonight? Why do I need to say these things tonight? Let's go, if you will, <clears throat> to Zechariah 14, which I often do <clears throat> on opening evening. I want to hit it from a little different standpoint tonight, <clears throat> and we'll try to make this brief. Chapter 14. Let's begin at the beginning of the chapter. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. There is an almighty God in the universe who created the heavens and the earth. You can look out at the myriad stars through as big a telescope as you can find, and the universe just seems absolutely endless. And yet every one of those heavenly bodies was created individually, and the God who was able to create that vast universe has named every one of them. He created the trees and the flowers and the cliffs you see in this magnificent valley. You can go down to the Grand Canyon, some of you who haven't been here before. Go down to the North Rim, down to the little point where you can look out see the valley. Read the plaque down there. And virtually every geographical feature in that valley, valley, that pit, that Grand Canyon, enormous pit, almost every geographical feature there is named after something satanic. Zoroaster, Nimrod, Baal, you just go on, one after the other. Everything down there is named after something to do with Satan the devil. You come out of the pit or away from the pit and up to the heights of Zion, and virtually everything in this valley and the mountains surrounding it are named after something in the Bible or God. It is quite an interesting contrast. But the day of the Lord comes. And we are in one of the most beautiful areas in his creation to keep the feast. That is not by happenstance. It is by plan. <clears throat> and I think God, a long time ago, planned to have a feast here. And I'm thankful we can be here. There are other beautiful places on the earth. I've seen a lot of them. None are more beautiful than this. They may be different or a different type of beauty. But to me, this is a very inspiring place, and some of you will see some areas in it as you explore around, and you'll be impressed with what God has done. But it was by design that we came here. We are not in Branson, Missouri. We could have chosen that. We could have chosen Orlando. We could have chosen the beaches in North Florida, if they survive. We could have chosen Anaheim and Disneyland. We could have come to the Feast of Tabernacles, and we could have enjoyed all the things that man has made for man to enjoy. And a lot of people and a lot of organizations, even in, clear back in Worldwide, have done that for a lot of years. But the day of the Lord is coming. 
God is beginning to take a hand in what is going on in the world, and it is going to get worse. God protected Job, as Satan pointed out, but God said, okay, have at it. And God is going to do that with this world and the people in it, to the point that Daniel, and I'm interpreting it correctly, is right. By the time this is done, the world's present population of roughly six and a half billion people will be reduced to about 100 million. We haven't seen anything yet. Is this a time to enjoy the feast as a vacation? Do you think the God who created everything would be pleased with that? Let's read on. <clears throat> the day of the Lord comes, and your spoils shall be divided in the midst of you. For I will gather all nations against your Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. It will be a great valley, and half the mountain will remove to the north and half to the south. And Christ will come and all the saints with him, end of verse 5. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, hazy, cloudy, day of the Lord. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go from Jerusalem, as per Revelation 21 and 22, and the holy city comes down and the bride of Christ with him. Things are going to change on this earth. Things are going to be different. Believe it or not, there is a God. And that God is going to come and rule this world with a rod of iron and with deep abiding love and comfort those who remain. Now, where will you and I be? Will we be alive? Will we be immortal, eternal gods by then? Will we be the bride of Christ? Or will somehow our love have waxed cold and we will have hated and betrayed our brothers and sisters to death? What I'm telling you tonight, before it's too late, we have to choose good or evil, life or death. There is yet time to choose. Now, why are we here? Verse 16. He goes on and talks about plagues and all that, but I'll skip to verse 16. It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, all that survive, and there won't be many by comparison or by percentage, everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. One of the major changes on this earth is that every person who remains 
will come up to keep the feast, or they will receive no rain, it says a little after this. No feast, no rain. Verse 20, In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness to the Lord. Even the bridles and the chains on the horse's muzzle will put out a noise as the horse trots that says, Holiness to the Eternal. That's quite a difference, isn't it? The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. You'll either be converted or gone. Now this makes a pretty strong distinction, doesn't it? You'll either be there or you won't be there. You'll either be worshiping the King, the Lord of hosts, or you won't be. If we are to come and keep these days holy to the eternal, we will be making choices that are important for us to make. If we came here for any reason other than to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, we need to reevaluate and rethink and redirect and refocus. It has come to the point in the churches of God that God is very unhappy with the feasts, as Isaiah 1 points out. I think both in location because the focus is wrong and in the way, therefore, that they are kept. Please, if you would, each and every one of you tonight, before you go to bed, take a few moments or minutes or whatever to think back on how you've kept the Feast of Tabernacles in the past. Conjure up in your memory the best you can of what is the best spiritual feast you ever had. We always say, that was the best feast ever. Meh. Maybe so, maybe not. It's easy to say in a moment of emotion. And as last year's and the year before and the year before that dim, it is exciting to be at the feast, and maybe it does seem like the best feast ever. But honestly speaking, there have been times in the last 53 years when I centered on God, and there have been times when I centered on other things. And I can think back of memorable ones where I took walks at night on the beach or where in Jekyll Island or in Alberta or different places I've been to the feast, where I looked up and prayed or lay down in the sand and prayed. There are other times and other feasts that if I scratch my head and try to remember what I did, I might not come up with anything. I remember one at Squaw Valley when I was in college that I'd go up on the mountain every morning and spend time in prayer with God. That one sticks out in my mind. 
We all have our memories. I'm telling you mine, and you could all tell yours. But in your mind is all we need. All we need, just you and your mind. Think about it. The best one you ever had, spiritually. Why not make this one better than that one? We know the world is about to implode upon us. We know that we, or our brethren, are susceptible to waxing cold, pulling away from God, and indeed we've seen most of the church pulling away from God in one way or another. God was upset with Worldwide and blew it apart. Some have tried to recreate Worldwide and they're slowly slipping further and further off the track. The handwriting's on the wall. There will not be one stone left upon another. Where will you be? Where will I be? I think tonight would be a good time, just as we begin the Feast of Tabernacles, to affirm and commit in our own minds to do whatever is necessary to be sure that by the end of this eight days we are far closer to God than we are right now. It will not happen by happenstance. It will not happen by accident. It will only happen if you set your mind, commit yourself to a course of action that includes God. Now in the prophecies, we've read many places where he says, when you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. The problem in the church today with you and me and everyone else, basically, is that we have drifted and we have become Laodicean. Lukewarm, not really on fire, and most cannot see the problem because they think everyone else is the Laodicean and they're the Philadelphian. But I was just as wrong as anyone. I was just as Laodicean as anyone. I was as lukewarm as anyone. I thought I would go to a place of safety when the phone calls came. There would be no question in my mind that I would. I'd anticipated that since I was seven, eight years of age. But that would occur, and we would just all go. Leave the dog and the cat and everything else and go. But I've seen a lot of people fall away in the last 20 years. And a lot of them now, if you call them, and that was the time it was there, who would say, oh, sure, we've drifted that far. It's time to stop the drift. Now, it's wonderful to fellowship together, to hug each other, to say, hi, how are you? It's good to sit down and fellowship, talk about God, talk about the Bible. It's good to take some hikes and look around at the beauty that is here to inspire us, that God has made. I wouldn't even think of going to a movie or down there, downhill to St. George or somewhere, to find man's entertainment when I have God's creation right here and all its awe-inspiring beauty. Enjoy it. Enjoy each other's company in it. 
what it's here for. Enjoy this fellowship, but don't forget that our fellowship, as John tells us in 1 John, is first with the Father and the Son, and secondarily with each other, and it isn't with the world at all. That's what the Bible itself says. Not my words, God's words. I won't turn there to all those tonight. But they're there, and you know they're there. You've read them. You've seen them. But it's hard to tell the difference between God's people and the world a lot of times today. We have a chance to make a difference. I don't know how much longer there is. It seems like things are speeding up in the world. And the destruction in the church is also speeding up. Even in the last two or three weeks, I've heard of more ministers departing from organizations, people leaving because they didn't like something, people arguing and fighting among themselves. It's getting worse. What about you and me? I can't do anything about anybody else but me, and hopefully by extension to you by talking about these things. Because in that sense, it's in our hands. God tells us in this book everything we need to know to make sure this thing comes out right. It's all in this book. Everything you could possibly need is in this book. He says to dig it out of it. And he says, seek him with our whole hearts and we will find him. And those are end time prophecies. I don't want to be one of those that betrays my brother. I don't want, in my hand, to see people die. So, let's worship the King, the Lord of hosts, during this Feast of Tabernacles. Let's commit ourselves to be sure we find adequate time for deep prayer with our Creator. He's our only hope. And as well, He's the only hope we need. Sometimes people say, God is our only hope left. You see, they're willing to exhaust every other hope and then depend upon him last. Why not just put him first to begin with? Put him first to begin with. Then he isn't your last hope. He's your only hope and the only hope you need. We have some choices to make. Will we be faithful, strong, true, close to God so that when things do get worse, we can pray and he will hear and answer? Or will we drift like so much of the church is and we'll call on God and he'll say, I don't know you. You betrayed your brother. You didn't help your brother. You betrayed your brother. I don't want to be there. I don't want you to be there. The Feast of Tabernacles is probably, along with Passover, but probably even more so in, in a sense of the Feast of Tabernacles, since we all leave our homes, we all gather, and we're there for eight days. We don't have to worry about work. We don't have to worry about bills. We don't have to worry about anything at home or anything else. We have eight days to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. There's nothing more important. There is nothing that should get in the way of that. If we truly love God, as we would all attest, then when we have an eight-day block of time 
that is set aside to worship him and then somehow fail to do that, at the end of that eight days, maybe we need to reconsider how much we love that God. It can be an emotion. It can be a feeling. But is, is, a, but is it a true, truism? That's the question. So evaluate right now where you are with God. Evaluate what your goals and purposes are for this feast. And please commit yourself to have the greatest spiritual feast you have ever had. Be closer to God by the end of this eight days than you have ever been after a Feast of Tabernacles, or maybe ever. There's a challenge. And it takes some choosing as you go through from day to day. Sometimes you have to say no to this much fellowship, or fellowship here or there, or to this opportunity. Sometimes you simply have to say no. It's easy to say yes. And it's not wrong to say yes. But be sure that you say no when you need to say no to say yes to God. It's easy to say yes to people. It's easy to say no to God. That's just the way we are built, isn't it? It's the way our human nature works. So I just didn't want to see myself and I didn't want to see you drift through this feast and say on the last day, that's the best feast ever, and not mean it, not know it, not having accomplished it. Here's our opportunity. First night, you know, so the sun just went down. We've got almost eight full days that we can devote to our God who created those stars. And even as we sit here, I mean, that is a vast thing out there. But your head is pretty finite, isn't it? And he's got your hairs numbered right here tonight, every one of you. He's pretty interested. How interested are we in him? I'll stop there.